Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. We're in a new series uh, called Start Here, and uh, I hope you're enjoying it. I'm really enjoying it. The, the study that's... Uh, you know, it's, it's a scripture. We're looking at the great commandment. Do we know the great commandment? Maybe we, we can uh, bring that up. I know I'm jumping ahead in the slides here, but this is the great commandment. We're digging into the great commandment, and really for us as a community, which is really every Christ-following community across the world, this is our great commandment, and it came from Jesus. Can we re- just read this together? The great commandment is to love the Lord your God. Let's read that together. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these these two commandments. So this is the words of Jesus when he was asked the question, if you've been with us, he was asked that question, what's the greatest commandment? What's the best? You know, it's almost like, what's the best hockey team, which is now the Kraken, right? So uh, even though I have some disagreements with the draft, we'll work that out over these next few years. But uh, as we head into this, this whole season, a common question was be asked, what is the greatest commandment? And this was Jesus' answer. And it's called the Shema. It was something that, or the Shema, the, um, in, in Canadian versus American, I guess, pronunciation. So walking this out, this is what Jesus said to them. He said, it's all about this, the love of the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. And this is what we're spending our time in. We're going to dive into each word. And last week, we talked about the heart. How the heart is that center of life, that it's almost like the CEO, the executive of, of everything that's going on. And, then, and that's why Jesus, he gave these, these warnings, these encouragements all the way through to, to guard your heart, to, to watch because out of your heart pours everything. And I love that verse that, that Jesus said in Matthew 12, 34, when he said, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And then another version even said that the mouth, it speaks whatever the heart is full of. But today we're going to be talking about the soul. And before I go any further, I want to give uh, a book credit. So my primary source in everything is the Bible. The Bible, it leads us, it guides us, it directs us. We need to be uh, study, uh, good, good students of the Word of God, it, getting it in our heart. But beyond that, I had one come up to me one time. It was a, a, a new Christian here, and he said, boy, he said, when you read Scripture, you bring so much content to it, and there's so many things you say about it, and you get so much out of it. How are you doing that? And I said, well, I read a lot of books. <laughs> I read a lot of commentaries and a lot of things that, that, uh, that enables me just to, that the Lord has used so many commentators, so many wonderful professors. And so one key book that I've used in this study, and I think we have a, we have a uh, slide of it, is Renovation of the Heart by Dallas Willard. How many You've, you've heard of Dallas Willard before. Just an amazing ordained pastor and then became head of the philosophy department at USC. And just an incredible book. I encourage all of you to read it. If you hear me say anything smart and intelligent, I'm probably quoting him. So I could be quoting Dallas Willard the whole way through this. But an incredible book. It's kind of a, it's a deep dive. I think you'll find yourself reading the same paragraph multiple times trying to understand what he's saying, but it's worth doing. But a secondary book that I've been using is a book by John Ortberg. And I think we have a slide of that as well called Soul Keeping. Uh, John Ortberg, a pastor. He was mentored by Dallas Willard. And uh, John Ortberg, he refers to himself as Dallas Willard for dummies. How many of you love the dummy collection, right? You're like, just break it down for me. And uh, I think it's important to note that people who write those dummies books, they're actually very intelligent. 
because people, teachers who can break down these huge truths to these very simple, understandable things, they're actually very intelligent. So uh, even though he calls himself dummy, he's no dummy. So let's dive into this. So we're talking about the soul this week, okay? When God made us, we need to recognize that even though he gave us this body, that God made us as a soul, as a soul that was made to eternally live with him. And we see this in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, where it says that God formed man out of the dirt from the ground, and he blew into his nostrils the breath of life. The man came alive, and the Bible says that the man became a living, a living soul. And when Jesus talked about that part of us, when he talked about that soul aspect of who we were made, he talked about, he said it in this way, he said in Matthew 10, verse 28, he said, do not fear those who can kill the body. Now, we tend to focus on the body, and we try to protect the body, but Jesus said, he said, don't fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. He said, rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So as we dive into this very important aspect, the soul, how God made us, I'd like for us just to pause for a moment. Can we just invite the Holy Spirit just to fill our lives and to, and to, incur, and to speak through me today? Because I believe it's a very important word that the Lord has for us, this aspect of soul. So, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the gift of the word, the Holy Bible, your word, your truth that you gave to us to, to light a path in front of us, to guide us. Lord, you, you told us to, uh, to, to, uh, to study the word, to let it be in our heart that we may not sin against you, that we may not miss the mark. We need the word of God. And Lord, I also thank you, Lord, for gifting so many great theologians that have just, they've explained it, they've broken it down, they've, they've uh, culturally contextualized it, because you don't want us to miss what you have for us. So Lord, let this word go deep in our heart today. Lord, the goal today is not that we would just be informed people, but that we would be, in tra- we would be transformed children of the Most High God. So transform us today. Is that your prayer? Just pray that, Lord, transform me today. Transform my heart, my mind, my soul, strength, everything about me, that I would hear this word, that it would change me, and it would renew me. In your name, everyone said together, amen, amen. So let's start, let's, let's just dive in. Let's talk about definition of the soul. What is the soul? What is the soul? And, uh, you know, the soul is something that a lot of people have talked about, and I was sharing with the team earlier today that even in a lot of my conversations, you know, 20 years ago, there was this disbelief or there was this, there was this push to of this idea of this worldview that, that really this life is all there is, that this flesh is all I have, and that when I die, I'm, I'm gone, that's it. And even with, a, with a, some family that I would talk to, that, that was their belief. And it was very hard to kind of press beyond that. But what I'm finding now is that in a lot of my conversation with those who, uh, who are far from God, they would, they would not call themselves a Christian. The whole idea of God is difficult. I'm finding that the idea of the afterlife, the idea of a soul is becoming much more prominent, which opens up that idea of how we were made. And it goes back to the Imago Dei being made in the image of God. And it's really opening up and has become this fertile soil that the gospel flourishes in. Because when we realize how we were made and who we are, God 
God is, is, God just kind of pops out of that. We see it. We see how he made us. That's why the, the word soul, it's often used in situations when someone's life is at risk, right? Even on an airplane that they'll say, there are 140 souls on board, or you look at a ship, right? Those in cruise ships, they refer to the passengers as souls on board. It's this word that talks about who we are and how we're made, because the soul is this part of us that it lives forever, so it's the part of us that we refer to in those situations when we're in those times of, of anxiety in our life. When, you know, for some people, flying it brings a lot of anxiety. Actually, it brings me a lot of joy. They give me a screen loaded with movies. They bring snacks to me. They bring me, you know, less than preferred coffee, but it's still coffee. You know, we walk through that. But when we talk about our soul, our soul, it's, it's really, it's that part of us that in- integrates every part of us. So when we talk about our soul, we're talking about that aspect that it integrates our will, which is our intentions, right, our heart that we talked about. It integrates the mind, that your thoughts, your feelings, that your values, your conscience, uh, and, and, and your body, which is everything about us, into this single life. And I love this diagram, and we're going to put it up here. This is the diagram that John Orberg adapted from Dallas Willard, and it, it just kind of lays this out really nice, right? So the will that's the heart. When we talk about the heart, it's that will, it's that center of life, the CEO, and then the mind and the body. But that soul is the part of us that it integrates all of these things. And when a a soul is healthy, when a soul is well-ordered, when our soul is well-ordered, it means that there's harmony between all three of these entities. And this is God's intent for all creation, that all of these would be integrally working together. And we find this, that when you're connected to God and when you're connected to other people in life, when all those connections are good, right? The great commandment we talked about, loving God and then loving others. When all of these are integrated well, this is when our soul is healthy. That's why a key word that is often used when we refer to the soul is that word integrity. Everyone say that together. Integrity, right? Integrity. Integrity is that state of being whole. And really it talks about being undivided, because oftentimes when we look at like a house, when you're buying a house, right, uh, and you're looking at it, a lot of times you'll look at the foundation to see if the foundation has integrity. And if there's a crack in it, you're going, oh my, this is a money pit I'm diving into, right? Or you look for key things, or if you go through, you see walls cracked. It causes you to question the integrity. That's why we have building codes. Building codes were created in order to protect. A lot of times we may not like them, and they may cause a lot of difficulty in going through, but the original purpose of them was to protect us and to keep us safe so that the buildings that we are in, this building has integrity so that it won't fall apart because when things fall apart, people get hurt. Lives are changed. And for the soul, that integrity is even more important. That's why integrity, it's really, it's a soul word. It's a soul word. Because the soul, it's all about harmony. The soul is all about connection and the integration of our lives. You know, Dallas Willard says that the human soul, it seeks to integrate every part of us into an integral person. So when we talk about our life and we talk about our health, the health of our soul is really the most important thing about us how we gauge our soul, how we look at it, because our soul is the part that we're going to take into eternity. I'm very thankful that my, I'm not going to have to take my COVID weight into eternity. Anybody else with me this morning? Right. I'm hoping I don't have to take my COVID weight much further than this year, so we'll see how it goes. Pray for me. Right? We pay a lot of attention to our body and culture, just like I did, and we need to be good stewards. We need to be eating well. We need to be exercising well. We need to be doing all those things. But again, 
Our soul is the aspect that we need to make sure that we don't neglect because a lot of that has gotten out of balance because we see our body. I mean, even during COVID, right? Do you know that, like, I have several friends who are wonderful dentists, and they talked about how during COVID that cosmetic dentistry actually started to go up on the rise. Do you know why? Because everyone's on Zoom all day, and they're smiling, and they're going, oh, my, <laughs> I need to straighten my teeth, or I need to whiten my teeth, or I need to do these things, because those are the things that we face every morning. I don't, you know, I don't get up every morning and go, man, how's my soul look today? No, I'm going, man, I need to... I need to do some things here. So, because it's, it's that physical part, we, whether we shave or we trim our beard or whatever it may look like, or we try to find some hair to move around, you know, all those things. See, the soul is the part that we need to be focusing on, though, even more than those things. And I love this quote from Dallas Willard. He says, the most important thing in your life is not what you do. The most important thing is who you become. It's not what you do. It's not all the successes. It's about who you become. These are the things that we bring into eternity with us, and that's the part that we need to be focused on, that we need to be looking at. See, the most important thing for us to know is this, and the most important thing that we need to be, be uh, aware of as we're talking to people, whether we're talking to people that are friends and people that agree with us, but I would say especially when we're talking to people who don't agree with us, people that may, you may even consider as an enemy in your life, when you're looking at that person, we need to have that view of we're looking at a soul that was made in the image of God that was made to last forever in eternity. That'll change how we treat our time. That'll change how we treat others. And as we look at this, as we recognize this, the key in this is recognizing that we are a soul that was made by God, made for God, and was made to need God. Every human, every soul was made by God, for God, and was made to be dependent on God. We tend to lean into a lot of being like, you know, being a self-made person, right? We're self-reliant, that we can do it on our own, we can do it, but that's not how we were made, we were made to be dependent on God for his glory. I love what it says in Acts 17, 28, when Paul was quoting this, this poem, but he brought it into alignment of what it really meant. He said that it's in God that we were made to live and to move and to have our being. You, you, does anybody have an old song going through your head right now? In him we live, right? And move and have our being. In him we live, right? Yeah, saying a lot growing up. Saying a lot growing up, so. The soul is the center of every human. I got a lot, every line for me has a song. I'm just holding back, okay? This could be karaoke morning. I could do karaoke all day. But before we move on and we look at the condition of our soul, let's, let's just take a moment just to kind of ask yourself. That, you know, we, we talked about integrity. And we talked about all these things fitting together. And we talked about this kind of how it integrates everything. Ask yourself this question, how would you describe, if in this moment you had to describe the integrity of your soul, meaning that all those things, they're working together, right? Heart, mind, soul, and strength, everything's working together. How would you describe the integrity of your soul, meaning if someone, looked, if someone looked at your foundation, if God looked at your foundation today, would there be cracks in it? Are there any cracks in your foundation that the Lord needs to address as you look at this health? And then the second part of it, because the cracks often come from a lack of dependence on God and we're leaning on ourselves. Because if we're just leaning on ourselves, we're going to crack. We're going to crack. So ask yourself, am I depending on God or 
Am I depending on myself? What does that look like? And you may need to take that and pray through that this week. But I encourage you this week just to take some time to go, Lord, how is my soul? And, and I even have some friends out there say, Dwayne, how is your soul? And I'm like, what does that mean? Take some time to dive into it. It's the most important part of us. It's the part that was made to last forever. And a big uh, test in that is, am I depending on God or am I depending on myself? And that's going to take some time to flesh out, but take that this week. All right, so knowing that very quick, very quick uh, definition of what the soul is, let's talk about the condition of the soul. What is the condition of the soul? What, you know, what, what does it look at? And cause, because, you know, I just turned 50, and doctors want to start seeing me more now. And they want to do things I'm not really fully comfortable with now. So, um, <laughs> and I'll just stop there. So, um, but we need, but we need annual physicals. It's important that we check ourselves out and that we go to doctors and that we do all those things. These are medical professionals uh, that have done a lot. I keep telling my dad, I'm like, dad, these are professionals that they've put a ton of money just to learn about our bodies and how they work. So trust them and, uh, we need to be looking at it because if your soul is healthy, no external circumstance can destroy your life. But if your soul is unhealthy, no external circumstance can redeem your life. That's, that's a quote from John Orper. Look at that. If your soul is healthy, there's nothing on the outside, nothing that's going on around you. If your soul is healthy, there's nothing that can destroy your life. Isn't that comforting? When your soul is healthy, you're, you're safe. Nothing can destroy your life. But if your soul is unhealthy, there's nothing that you can do to redeem your life on your own. There's no external circumstance. You can't medicate it enough. You can't, there's nothing you can do externally to redeem your life. Because the soul, as we talked about, it integrates the will, the mind, and the body. It pulls it together. And it's important for us to know and to realize that for every human... Our soul is only healthy when we're completely surrendered and completely dependent on God. God is the only one that can sustain that. Nothing else can sustain that. We get that in building codes, right? When a, if a builder comes in and starts looking at a foundation that has some questionable material, it's going to break down. A soul that rejects or ignores God, that means when we only live for ourselves, it loses its integrity because it allows sin to come in, and sin is always out to destroy. Sin will always destroy us. See, when we talk about sin, we're talking about missing the mark, the goal that God has for us, where he's leading us, how he's guiding us. Sin is simply when we miss the mark, when we're straying from God, when we're not dependent on God, when we're not leading in that way. And all sin, it disintegrates our soul because we're missing it. We're missing what God has for us. That's, that's what sin is. And sin will always work to dominate you and to destroy you. And the Bible says that sin has its pleasure in the moment because the flesh gets happy. The flesh is the part that we're there. And we're like, hey, this feels good. Let's do some more of this. But unfortunately, it misses the mark and it destroys us. It destroys us. That's why when Jesus talked about the condition of our soul, he referred to it as being lost. Being lost. That big graphic lost starts coming in, right? Jesus said in Luke 19, 10, he said, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are what? Lost. Lost. See, Jesus, he compared our souls, all of our souls, to sheep that have wandered off. Because in that day, sheep were very common. The whole idea of an analogy of a shepherd was very well known to people in that day. 
So lost spiritually, it means that we are separated from God. We're not following God, and we need to be saved because we're lost. And a lot of times, we can be lost and not even know it. We tend to not realize how lost we are until we start feeling pain, until we start feeling the effects of it. And then all of a sudden, we're like, oh, no. Where have I ended up here, right? Things seem to be going well, and you're driving along. I remember once we were, uh, Steph and I traveled for a traveling team for Evangel University where we traveled to all these different churches, and through that, I got to see almost every state, and we spent our days in a van traveling. We spent our nights ministering to people, and it was, it was incredible. It was an incredible time, but I'll never forget that, you know, there was this one time where I had to, uh, I asked one of our junior members of the group if you know, if they could drive, because we're all tired, and we're all exhausted, and I was just very tired, so I needed to sleep. I said, it's a great. I said, here's the map that was back. Remember those Rand McNally maps? Remember paper, right? And you had it. It was all laid out. Here's your directions. It's interstate all the way. When you get to where you need to turn off, wake me up and let me know. And so this guy said, great. I got it. Excited. So he gets in, puts on his Walkman, Okay, a lot of old reference. I'm, am I that old now? So, you know, a Walkman, right? So it's like an iPod that you had to put a big disc in, right? So, um, so you put it in, and, and you put on this, and he's just going and bebop and bebop, and we go to sleep, and we're on the interstate. Well, eventually I wake up, and I open my eyes, and now we're on a small country road with trees over it, and he's just driving, and he's happy, and I said, Chris, where are we? It wasn't, it wasn't Chris Ness. And he opens up. He's like, I don't know. I'm like, you're driving us. We've we got to be there at a certain time. And we saw this sign that said, welcome to Florida. Was our service that night in Florida? No. He was happy as could be until I brought the map out. And I said, look where you are. And he was like, oh, I had no idea. So we pull off to the store to get help. And I mean, we, we walk in, and as soon as I saw pickled pig feet in a big jar, I knew, I don't know if we're going to get a lot of help here today, but you know. Um, but he was happy. He couldn't have been happier. But he went from happy to devastated to go, you'll never let me drive again, will you? The whole way like, you'll never let me drive. Please let me drive again. This is our state, and we often don't know. We don't know we're lost until there's a map, until there's a reference that comes up, until we recognize how in tr- much in trouble we are, how far off, how far back we've got to go, how we need to find a gas station, and there's no gas station in these backwoods. But this is the state of our soul. We miss God, and then all of a sudden we find it. See, we need a Savior, and the Savior, that's why Jesus referred to it as the Great Shepherd. And this is how, without God, this is how we all are. Every human soul. But that word lost can be very offensive. Have you ever come across that where, like, telling somebody that they're lost is offensive? Right? I mean, I, I learned, don't ever tell my dad that he's lost. <laughs> There'd be no ice cream that day for little Dwayne. Because lost is... When you tell somebody that they're convinced they're going the right way, that they're lost, it's very offensive, and it's very difficult. And I've, I've even been corrected by other Christians. They're like, don't refer to people as lost. It's offensive to them. And my response to that, I'm going, yes, we need to have good language. We need to be, you know, we need to be, be kind and compassionate, but we need to be truthful. Jesus came in grace. We need to have grace. And we, we need to have good manners in the body of Christ. We've, you know, COVID has been difficult for the manners with the body of Christ, you know? We've got to correct that. But we need to be truthful, too. When I go to my doctor and he's looking at my health, you know, he's, 
he's being very truthful to me because the greater travesty would be for my doctor to look at me, to see something is off, see something that's destructive, and he would tell me, Dwayne, you're okay. I'll see you next year. Not only that, if he saw something, knew something was wrong, and, t- and sent me away telling me everything's okay, and it came back later that I knew that he knew something was wrong and didn't tell me, I could sue him. That's why doctors have malpractice insurance, because we value truth so important that we're like, we want you to be honest. If we're that way with our bodies, how much more with our souls, that part of us that lives forever? Yes, grace, but the truth needs to be there because we need it. But still, both Christians and non-Christians alike, we become very uncomfortable with that word lost. So why do we struggle with this word? Well, I think one of the reasons that we struggle with it is because we all think we're good. How you doing today? I'm doing good. It's all good in my hood, Pastor Dwayne. That's the stock answer that we give to everything. And even when we talk about what's going on, Jesus even had someone come to him and say, well, who's good? You know, is it, is it, you know, aren't we all good here? See, we've been taught that whatever we do is good and that wherever we go is right, that you be you and I'll be me and, you know, just be yourself. Thank God that I just didn't do me <laughs> all the time. Because if I just had that, if that was my mantra that, Dwayne, you just do you, what a horrible life my wife would have. <laughs> because I need redemption. I need transformation. That there are some natural things that I would lean into that are bad for me. And if they're bad for me, they're bad for my family. Does, does anyone make mistakes in their life besides me? You know, that you're like, I just do, yeah. If, if you're just doing you, oh my goodness. Because who I was prior to Christ was someone in need of a Savior. I was lost. I can lead you somewhere, but without Jesus, who knows if I'm going the right way? It's very offensive. Right? When, we're, when, we, when we talk to people about this, we need to recognize that, yes, this may be very difficult. But it's important that we come to terms with this. You know, as we talked about heaven, I, I preached a sermon on heaven a little while ago, and, and I gave the... Um, Gave, some, gave the stats. I love looking at stats and seeing, you know, what, what, what do people think out there in America, right? Most people, I mean, and it's always up around close to 80% or over. Most people believe in that there's a heaven. They struggle with hell, but they believe that there's a heaven. And most people believe that they're going to go to heaven. There's no qualifiers for it, but most people believe that they're going to heaven because they think that, 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 that heaven is a place where we all go and that hell is really just for those bad people. And I'm not a bad person, right? Nobody's bad. So why would God send me to this place called hell? So we're all going to heaven. It's going to be okay. When, when God sees me, he's going to say, yeah, you're, you're good, and it's, it's okay. Only the worst enemies and that all sounds good until you try to, try to drive on I-5 and you recognize everyone's a lunatic, right? <laughs> like, and there's times I'm on I-5 and I'm like, there better, be, there better be a lot of confession going on today after this little exercise here. Cutting me off, honking their horn at me. It wasn't Pastor Steve. Don't worry about it. Because, see, we all have the impression that we're good, and, and we've been told that we're good, and we've heard about these things where we had a generation going through. You know, I remember, go, you know, coming up through sports in school, and it's like, man, if you got a medal, oh, my goodness, that was such a rare prize to have. 
And then I started putting my kids in sports in the early 2000s, and at the end, they gave a medal to everybody. And I'm like, but we didn't win anything. <laughs> what, are, what are we doing? There's an analysis that comes down that we stand before the Lord. And the Bible is very clear that there are two paths. There's a right path, and there's a wrong path. Proverbs says, there's a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. And when Jesus talked about it, he talked about there being two gates. And he said that the gate that leads to destruction is very wide and very welcoming. And he said that many, unfortunately, go that way. But when he talked about the right path, he describes it as being narrow. But it's the way that leads to life. You know, Jesus even said in Matthew 7 that there will be many that will be surprised on that day that when they die and when they stand before, because we all stand before the Lord, that there will be many on that day that will, will be surprised that Jesus didn't even know them. When Jesus talking about know them, he's not saying they didn't know about them, but that they'd never surrendered their life. He said, well, Lord, we did this in your name, and we did this in your name, we did this in your name. And he utters these scary words. I think it's, it's one of the scariest uh, verses in the Bible when he says, depart from me, I never knew you. See, we can be busy about a lot of things, and we can have the best Facebook that looks like Jesus. We can put Jesus all over our Facebook, but if there's no transformed life, if there's no surrendered life, our soul is lost. We know how to say the right things. We're researchers. We're in the information age. It's not always the truth age, but there's a lot of information out there. You can find a religion that'll totally adapt to your lifestyle. You can find a religion that'll totally... I even found out this new one called, what's it, Pastafari? It's the worship of pasta, right? I thought it was a joke. It's real. Any Pastafarians out there today, you know? Bag Italian, so. You, you'll find whatever you want to find out there, but that's why Jesus said, there's only one way. You're all Googling, Pastafari. What the heck? It's not about just saying the right things. We can say the right things. You, 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 you head into a relationship and you just say the right things and you don't really mean them all the time, you're going to have relationship problems <laughs> that you need to work out. That's why Jesus, gracious, yes, but there were people who, they walked away from Jesus so sad because is Jesus loving? Absolutely. People flocked to him. If they were hungry, he fed them. If there was, he was, he loved people. But he was also truthful, saying, there's one way. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. See, when Jesus fed people, and when he was encouraging them, and when he was saying all these nice things, and, and just being Jesus, people loved him. But when he talked about this, and he revealed the nature of their soul, they went from loving him to not just abandoning him, but wanting to kill him. That's what he said to the Pharisees. He said, he said to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the religious experts of that day, he said, listen to what they say. They're saying the truth, but don't do as they do because they're whitewashed tombs. They are empty. They're devoid of any transformation. So the, Jesus, fully God, fully man, loving, came on a rescue mission, was killed by the religious leaders because what did he do? He revealed their soul. And it wasn't just the religious leaders of that day, you know. Pastors have come under a lot of attack. <laughs> but it's really all of us. That 
at a point, and I would say even for churches in the community, when there's this revelation of a soul that comes up, we love you and it's great, but let's start talking about the health. Let's get some transformation. Let's start dealing some things. And the soul, the soul starts to be reflected. Um, that's when difficulty comes in. You know, it's often true that some of, the pe- some of the people that you may have helped the most have been the ones that have kind of turned away from you the most. Have, have you ever experienced that? Like, man, I'm poured so much. But as you deal with these health things, because here's the thing, because when we're, rec- when we're brought face-to-face with these soul things, when we're brought face-to-face with our health, we have a decision at that point. We can either choose what's right, and we're all made in the image of God, and there's that part of us that goes, it's right, it's right, it's right, or we choose what's wrong. And when we choose what's wrong because we don't want to let go of the flesh, we don't want to let go of our own ideas, we head into this area of denial. So many people live in denial. I'm holding back my Egypt joke right now, by the way. It's not just a river in Egypt. So I didn't hold it back, did I? So. But Dallas Willie, in his book, he unpacks this so beautifully. He says that so many people live in denial. And there are really two parts of this. There's the rejection part where you reject where you are because it's too hard to look at. But there's also that affirming part where I don't want to look at where I am, but I want to affirm where I'm going. See, we're a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. That's what Shoreline is, and I love that. But, there's a, but it's love, is recognizing the love of Jesus. But there's an acceptance of his love for us and that transformation. And forgiveness is only found through true forgiveness, only found through Jesus Christ and his death. And then we're given an opportunity to belong to that. Because as you look at the, the gospel, it can be very offensive. If you're if you're not, if you're rejecting where you are and you're affirming I'm going the right way, the gospel becomes very offensive. It becomes a stumbling block to so many. So we, we move in this area of denial. Listen to what Dallas Willard writes. He writes this. He says, in a world apart from God, the power of denial is absolutely essential. He says, apart from God, denial is essential if life is to proceed. The will or spirit, that heart, it cannot, and he says it psychologically cannot sustain itself for any length of time in the face of what it clearly acknowledges to be the case. Therefore, it must deny and evade and, and dilute itself. Meaning that apart from God, if, you're, if there's not that surrender to God, if there's not that totally turning over to God, the only way that you can survive emotionally and psychologically is that you need to fully embrace denial. It's the only way. Now that will eventually lead to destruction. But the only way that you can do it in that moment because it can be too painful. Because soul work can be painful. I've experienced some of that. I've sat down with mentors. I've sat down with counselors. And as they start to talk, I'm like, oh. (laughs) Mommy said I was good. Right? And I said, well, Mommy said it's time to grow up, too. (laughs) Dwayne, you you got to take on this. You need to grow up because it leads to death. It leads to destruction. It leads to. And there's a gracious part of that where, yes, now we'll walk with you. And there's a patient walk, but it begins with that acknowledgement of, here's, this is where I am. But this is who God gave me. A lot of times when when we think about that cost, right, the cost of giving up, it's like, you know, the cost of what we give up is so little compared to what we gain, we're called to deny ourselves. Jesus said, if anyone doesn't lay down his, 
you know, lay down his life, pick up the cross, and follow me. He cannot be my disciple. But what we gain, we gain eternal life. We gain empowerment from God. We're filled with the Holy Spirit that leads us and guides us in all things. We have this promise of Jesus to never leave us, never forsake us. That even though everyone will leave you and forsake you, Jesus says, I will be with you, and I'm the author of life. If you have a need, I'm going to provide it. It may not be the way you imagined it, but I am there with you every step of the way to empower you. Jesus said, you'll even do greater things than I did. Holy cow. Does that blow your mind? Greater than walking on water. Greater than raising Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus, come forth. Greater than that. My goodness. And all I have to do is just take this sinful, lost Dwayne and just say, yep, you can have this. (laughs) You'll give me beauty for the ashes. You'll give me strength in place of my fear. That's the cost. If you had a stock option that way, you'd cash in everything going, oh my goodness, look, look at this. Look what I get in return for this. We get so much more in return, but we're like, my precious. You know, we just want to hold on to it. And just, it's like, my goodness. Lord, help us not to live in denial. Help me not to live in denial. To, be, to go, nope, I'm going the right way, but to recognize, to recognize that I'm lost and I need you. Help us, Lord. So before we go on to that last part today, and I promise I'll do it really, really quick. I'll try to do it really quick. Ask, you know, ask yourself, you know, am I aware of where I am? Take stock. And again, these are all in that church center app. All these reflection questions are there, but... Boy, let this be your Bible study this week. Are you aware of where you are today? Because I'm looking out, and I know most of you today, and I'm going, yeah, these are people who have given their life to Christ, but can Christians get off? Can Christians get off? Yes. Have you ever gotten off? My goodness, right? So this is something where we're always looking at it. I walk around, I look at the foundation of my house, boy, almost every week. Because I want to catch it early. With my house, the sooner and the quicker I find something off, the cheaper it is. I learned that. If I ignore it, if I let that broken pipe run for a year, I'm broke. (laughs) But if I can catch it in the moment, it's there. I'm like, oh, thank God. It was just one Home Depot run. With our soul, taking stock, where am I? And ask yourself, and this is going to be a work of the Holy Spirit. Like David prayed this. David prayed, you know, reveal to me my unknown sin. You know, ask, pray. Are there any areas of my life that I'm living in denial? If, and I hope you're on a group. This is a great group question. This is a great discipleship question. Are there any areas of my life that I'm living in denial? Amen? So that's the condition. We're all lost. So how do we restore? Because Jesus didn't just come drop us off and say, Good luck. How do we restore? How is the soul restored? Right? Remember that, that quote I, I quoted earlier? That if your soul is healthy, no external circumstance can destroy you. If your soul is healthy, there's nothing, neither life nor death, nothing can come against you. But if your soul is unhealthy, there's nothing you can reach out to besides Jesus that's going to help you. So how is it restored? Well, first, first of all, you need to recognize your loss. You need to know where you are. I'm lost. <laughs> I am, boy, am I lost. Because until we recognize that, you can never be found, right? Because Jesus doesn't force us. 
And when we share Jesus, we don't force them. We don't go, you're lost. Give your life to Jesus right now, right? That evangelism technique has been tried. <laughs> and if, if, if fear is your tactic, if fear is that motivation, fear, eventually, you grow numb to it, don't you? Right? The or else, I mean, that's dictators. That's not what we're talking about here. It's a free choice. That's why when God approached Adam after he ate, there's only one thing he couldn't eat in the garden, and he ate it. But what did God ask Adam? He said, Adam, where are you? <laughs> where are you? Where are you, Adam? Right? We need to recognize where we are. The advice of the doctor only works if we do it. There's medicine that the doctors give me. He's like, I want you to take all these pills. I want you to take one pill every four hours until they're all gone. It's no good for me to take one pill and go, well, that didn't work. <laughs> right? No, one pill every four hours until they're all gone. There's practices I put in my life. I need to read the Bible every day. If I just read the Bible once and went, well, that didn't work, I still, you know... I still don't have a job. I still have this going on. I'm still sick. I read the Bible. It didn't work. I threw it away. That's, no. It's hiding it every day, every day. I don't just talk to Jesus once. I don't just talk to my wife once. I don't just talk to my friends once and go, well, that didn't work. It's every day building it, practices bit by bit. It's called that sanctification process, that step by step, mile by mile. There are things, Paul even talked about it. Paul talked about that there were things in this process with Jesus that, boy, it was gone in a moment. You prayed, and I've had deliverance right there in that moment, and then there's a thorn in your side that you're like, you know, Jesus, please take it, please take it, please take it. But we work through it, and we grow closer to Jesus in it, and there's a process that we trust Jesus with, isn't there? Are you, are you there? Right? Has everything you prayed for just went boom? Some things have. There are even things I didn't get a chance to pray for, and God provided before I even prayed for it. I had a medical bill one time that before I even prayed for it, God provided for it. I was like, sweet, <laughs> that's great. But then there's other things I've prayed for, and it's like, we're, we're going to go through a process in this. That's why you need to be in a group, to talk through and to be encouraged that, you know what, yeah, God is... Even when you don't see it, even when you don't feel it, we sing songs about it, God is still working. This is a process in us. But it begins with recognizing where we are, where we are. So once we recognize, then we head into confession. Confession is a normal part of everyone's life. It's a normal part of a believer's life. It's a normal part of every married man's life, okay? It's, just, it's a part of it. And every married woman as well. You know, I know that, you know, no one's good, but I, I, Stephanie's better than I am. <laughs> right? There's this, there's this process so, of confession. This is a part of it. So what does confession look like? Because we, we kind of struggle with this. Well, I love what, uh, what the great Richard Foster says in Celebration of Discipline. And he lays out three key steps. And the first step is, is he calls it the examination of conscience. Right? This is when we say, Lord. That David prayer, reveal to me any unknown sin. Speak to my heart, Lord, because there's things that are glaring to us, things that are like, yes, this, you know, this is a challenge here. But there's things that we don't know. 
Richard Foster describes it as this is where we come under the gaze of God, where it's just we kind of we bare our soul and say, Lord, I don't want there to be anything between us. Show me, oh God. I do this every morning. Every morning. We invite God to move in our hearts to do that full revelation. See, when people came to Jesus for forgiveness of sin, they tended to be very specific. <laughs> Lord, I'm this and I'm that. I need your help. When I go to the doctor, I get very specific. Where's the pain? It's right here. It's a pain right here. Wherever that is. I get, because I want it to be gone. I want it to be dealt with. So our confession needs to be very specific. And sometimes it's you and the Lord. And there's some things that you need to go and confess to those that you trust. Right? David Foster says that that second step in confession is sorrow. Sorrow is that deep sense of regret, right? That even though it may involve emotions, it's, it's not just about being emotional, right? He says, being sorrowful in the emotion without a godly sorrow in the will will destroy the confession. 2 Corinthians 7 says that godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and it leaves no regret, but, wor- but worldly sorrow, it brings a death. What is does it mean by worldly sorrow? Worldly sorrow, a lot of times, it's, it's like, you know, it's like we tend to kind of focus on the symptoms of it. I'm sorry I got hurt. I'm sorry that I lost all my money in gambling. I'm sorry I did this. And we focus on the symptoms. But there's no remorse that I'm sorry that I, that I did this. You know, everything's on YouTube now, right? So you can go and you can look at court proceedings. There's even like a court fail channel. <laughs> And there's all these people that they come before a judge and they're arrogant and they're laughing and they're joking and, you know, there's no remorse at all and they're going, yeah, I'm sorry, <laughs> whatever. There's a difference in how a judge treats somebody who's going, I'm, I'm sorry, and I'm doing this, I'm coming in. How the judge treats that person is very different from a person who's just kind of lackadaisical and they come in like they don't care. Have, 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 you, have you seen that or noticed that? And maybe even in your own friends because, you know, we're all kind of li- little judges running around. <laughs> Right? How we treat somebody who comes to us when they're truly, you, you know that they're sore, you know there's a remorse versus someone going, they're just, they're just saying it. There's no, they're not genuine. It's very different, isn't it? There needs to be that remorse of God. Forgive me, I'm a sinner. Forgive me for this. The reason why that's so important, and it's not just emotion, is because the person without remorse offers little hope of change and recovery. Because the, the whole goal is recovery. The whole goal is change. So we need to have examine our conscience. We have sorrow. But that third part of confession is that, is that determination to avoid sin. <laughs> right? It's that Greek word of repentance. It's metanoia. It's a change of mind. It's this ruthless, we've talked about it before, this ruthless dismantling of old ways of seeing and thinking. And then it's a diligent and vigilant building of new ones. That's what repentance means. Because if I keep saying I'm sorry and I keep walking up and doing the same thing, right? If someone walks down the hallway and I trip them and they fall, they go, <laughs> sorry. First time they go, okay. Next time they walk down the hallway, I trip them. <laughs> Sorry. They're going, okay. By the fifth time, do you think they think I'm sorry anymore? <laughs> they're going to stop going down that hallway or they're going to report me to HR. Why? 
because there's no determination to stop. Now, there are things that can, hopefully you can stop tripping somebody pretty quickly. But there are some other things that have been so ingrained that it, it, it's a process and you walk it out. But Metanoia says, I'm turning away from it and I'm doing whatever it takes. For some people, because of what that was and, and the level of repentance in their life, they've changed jobs. They've had to change friend groups. They've gotten rid of Netflix. They've done whatever it took because they're like, I don't want to do that anymore. And it's a process, isn't it? They got in a life group. They got in a group of people to encourage them because they're like, no, I need help. I need encouragement. I need people praying with me. I need people that are going to walk with me. People I can confess to that can help me in this process. This is what, this is what we're talking about. This is all a soul issue. And in that last part, it's that surrender and it's that following Jesus. Because transformation is dependent on that. It's dependent on that. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 16, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. And they say, if you hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. All of you, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. And some did. He said, but if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. And what, you, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? He used the soul word there. And he said, is anything worth more than your soul? See, that surrender is giving up the driver's seat. It's saying, no, Jesus, you drive. You drive. You show me where to go. Let me, let me follow you. It's that commitment as we walk it out to where every day I need to be talking to Jesus. Prayer is just talking. And you're listening you're reading about Jesus. You're reading the Bible. You're, you're, you're talking to others about it. You're worshiping Jesus like what we did. We need each other. The Bible's very clear. We need to be gathering together. We need to be worshiping each other. We need to be seeing people that they're followers of Christ, that they're encouraging us and they're praying for us. And sometimes the Holy Spirit may even speak to you to speak a word to somebody else, that they need that encouragement or they need sometimes that warning. Sometimes it's a warning call that comes through that we need to be together in order to do that. But it's also inviting others. When you're in love with Jesus, when your soul is healthy, and when you're experiencing that John 10, 10 life to the full, you are going to be inviting other people to be a part of it because to not invite people would be cruel. If you are experiencing all this life, and you experience the power of Jesus in your life, and, you're exper- and you know that one day we'll stand before the Lord, and that there's this life awaiting for us where we'll be in fully all of us in the presence of the Lord forever and forever and forever, it would be cruel not to invite somebody. It'd be cruel not to be praying for your family that don't know them. It'd be cruel not to pray and saying, God, show me how to talk talk at work. And some of you, you're in difficult work situations where talking about it would get you fired. And you're saying, well, Lord, show me how. Show Show me what this looks like. Show me how to connect with those around me. Show me how to, even my enemies... Because you said I need to love my enemies and, and, I, and you're, you're doing this, this soul work in me and you're creating in me a new heart. I want my enemies to know you. I want them to be redeemed even though they hurt me. Even though I've had to do some protective things because of how they were hurting me. But I still, I want their soul to be redeemed. I want their life to be redeemed. Help me, God. Every healthy church should be inviting friends constantly when we know this truth. We're not coercing people. We're not threatening people. We're not putting fear in people's life. We're we're giving them the life of Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus talked about, that life to the full. Do you want that better life? Do you want that life where you're walking down the street and the Holy Spirit is just flowing through you, talking through you and saying, here's what I want you to do today. Here's how I want you to act today. Here's how I want you to respond today. 
There is no better life when my life operates in that way. I mean, I come home and I can't wait to get back on that bus. There are things that will scare other people that will light you up. Because you'll see how the Lord is using you. But it all starts with me just taking lost, fractured Dwayne and laying it down and saying, God, it's yours. And then experiencing that regenerative work. Amen. I know I've preached long today, but this is so important. So as we wrap this up today, talking about it, I'll talk about this restoration. I invite you just to close your eyes in this moment. Invite the gaze of God on your soul. Invite the gaze of God and say, Lord, what do I need to confess? I don't want to leave this place today without getting things right. And maybe you know what that thing is, or maybe you're blind to it. Invite the Holy Spirit to confess. What, what is that? Is it a motive? Is it a is it pride? That thing that we're all prone to. What's that work that you need to do in me? And then just confess it to the Lord. Just do that now. You don't need to wait till you get somewhere else. Just confess that. Just you and the Lord. Forgive me, Jesus. Forgive me, Lord. Wash me clean. And in the process of confession, that next part that we talked about, that metanoia, that dismantling, what things in, in, ask yourself, what things in my life do I need to turn away from? Is there, is there anything I need to turn away from? Anything I need to turn off? Anything I need to stop doing? It might be social media. It might be, it could be a lot, it could be a lot of things. It's often a good thing. But what do you need to turn away from? And then ask yourself, what's missing? You know, am, am I praying every day? Not because it's a rule, not because it's a, a works-based gospel, but Jesus, am I talking to you every day? You're the author and the giver of life. You're the savior of my soul. You're the great shepherd. You're the great physician. Am I talking to you enough? Am I setting aside time? Have I taken my calendar and said, this is time that is non-negotiable. I'm spending it just me and Jesus, nothing else. Everything else is turned off where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to Jesus. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the Bible. I'm going to let that pour into me because I need you. These things are so important because we thought we'd be through COVID by now. We thought there'd be no more masks. We thought this, was, this would all be done. We thought we'd be done following all these things. And there's never a promise that things will get easier. <laughs> but Jesus promised that he would make us stronger. And that he would fill us with joy in the moment as we walk through it. That he would build these things in our life. Maybe for you it's like, you know what? I've given up inviting people. I just, <laughs> I'm tired of being rejected all the time. I'm tired of people saying no to me all the time. Maybe the Holy Spirit needs to speak to you and just reinvigorate that and go, boy, who, who do I need to be inviting? Who do I need to be reaching out to? Who do I need to be praying for? Who do I, what does that look like? Maybe you, you struggle worshiping with others. Just coming here today would seem to be a struggle for you. You're like, I don't want to wear a mask. You know, there's, 
Pastor Dwayne didn't say hi to me today. We need to be together. We need each other. We need to press through. We need to worship each other. There are people in parts of the world that they're willing to sacrifice their life to be together because it's, so, it's that important. We need to be together. Amen? Amen. Lord, do your work in our life today. Speak to us. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. Is that your prayer? Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. We confess our sin. We invite your presence. We lay down our life. All for the glory of God. For your name. For your name. And just affirm your trust in the Lord today, if that's your heart. Just speak it out. Lord, I trust in you. I trust in you. I wholeheartedly lean and depend on you, oh God. And Lord, we will... That process, it involves waiting. What we're just saying, I will wait for you. It's that promise that those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They will walk and not faint. They will run and not grow weary. So Lord, teach us how to wait. Teach us how to be patient in that process. Help us to stay in the process. Help us to to trust the process in your name, in your name, amen. It made me think about um, our young adults leader, Katie Meredith, was, was teaching with Rob this morning in our leadership class that I highly encourage for you all. It's wonderful, wonderful, incredible class. But she was talking about how she had a professor that was teaching them, and all the students, they were focused on the result. I want to be like this, I want to be like this, I want to be like this. And the professor said, you need to focus on what you're doing right now. <laughs> you need to look at, you need to, because until you get this, you will never get this. But if you focus on where the Lord's placed you, how he's planted you, that's not what he said, but the brother analogy, the work he's doing right now, because a lot of times we can get frustrated. Why can't I do that? Why can't I do that? And the Lord's saying, I'm working on this in your life right now. I'm doing this work in you right now. This is what I'm speaking to you today. Today, today, worship the Lord today. And then she said that as they did that, as they trusted the process, every teacher, teachers, right? I think one of the most difficult things to teach your students is to get them to trust the process. Why do I need math? Why do I need all this, right? <laughs> when you trust the process, you learn, you become, you grow. God has all of you in a process. And what we just saying, that as we're fully devoted, as we're surrendering to him, we need to trust that process however long it takes. And I would say this, the longer it takes, you need to recognize the deeper he's going. You want a tall building? God's going to say, we're going to dig a while. <laughs> the deeper the foundation, the taller the building. But you dare not put a tall building on a weak foundation. So many of you, you may, be, you may find yourself that, yeah, God, you keep digging deep, you keep digging deep, you keep digging deep. He's like, well, because you ask to grow, you ask to grow, you ask <laughs> you're praying. You're asking. I'm building a foundation that's integrous. Trust God's process. He's not doing it to hurt you. He's not doing it to harm you. He's doing that to build your life. And often it comes by teaching us to trust. Because if we don't trust, the building's going to fall. Amen?
Amen, amen, amen. So what are we doing this week? We're going to love the Lord with all of our heart and the soul. Take those questions. Apply those to your life this week. I am. I am. Amen? Amen. Thank you for joining us today. This is our benediction. This is our benediction. Let's say this together. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace.